Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the U.S. is finalizing plans to send 1.5 million vaccine doses to Canada. The pandemic knows no borders, and ensuring our neighbors can contain the virus is a mission critical uh, step, is mission critical to ending the pandemic. Will the Conservative Convention give Aaron O'Toole a chance to win over those questioning his leadership? This is going to be the opportunity for him to give that clear vision. We came out of a leadership race where we had some extraordinary delegates that had come forward to be our leadership candidates. It is now his turn. It is now time for him to take that uh, that space. And um, in, these, in these last eight months of leadership, I think he's done exactly that. And China insists it has followed the law as the cases of the two Michaels head to court. If there was any doubt that these two Michaels are being used as as pawns in a larger game of um, international chess strategy between the U.S. And, and China, you know, there is no doubt at all. It's Friday, March 19th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. We're joined by CBC At Issue panelist Althea Raj. Althea, thank you for being with us today. Good morning, Mark. So we are hearing from the U.S. government, from the Biden administration, that Canada and Mexico will receive some vaccines. Uh, How much is that going to help the Canadian government uh, deploy vaccines across the country? Uh, Well, it will help uh, the federal government to make its pledge to have um, everybody vaccinated who wants to be vaccinated by the end of September, possibly earlier. Um, François Legault, the Premier of Quebec, said everybody in his province can be vaccinated by Saint-Jean-Baptiste Day, June 24th. Um, it's not a huge number. 1.5 million doses would be going to Canada as a loan. So basically what's happening is the U.S. Um, has a bunch of AstraZeneca vaccines which have been produced in the United States, but they have not been approved for use in the United States yet. So. Basically, the Biden administration is shipping 4 million doses, 1.5 million here, 2.5 million uh, to Mexico, uh, with the promise that um, we would ship back 1.5 million doses when we get them uh, from our uh, normal foreign channels. So uh, in the fall, probably later this year, we would send the Americans back 1.5 million doses. They say they don't actually need the doses to meet what Biden has said um, is the goal of vaccinating every adult by the end of May. So yeah. they don't need them. We need them. They're giving them to us. Yeah, and, and there's, a, them to us. <laughs> yeah, there's a tidy little political solution there because, of course, it would be, uh, there would be some reaction in the United States if, if people in Canada were getting American vaccines before Americans were getting them, right? So, so portraying it as a loan and is is part of that solution, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we also there's lots we don't know about the vaccines, right? We don't know how long they're going to last. Uh, if we might need a booster shot, if it's yeah. going to be like a, a, va- a flu vaccine where we get vaccinated every year. So, um, I don't think it's a bad idea to keep more doses. I mean, clearly Canada will have uh, far more than it needs. Um, you know, once everybody is vaccinated, anyways. Yeah, I, I think. Uh, mainly it's the criticism has been levied against the United States that they're hoarding vaccines. Um, and it's you know kind of hard to defend yourself when you are sitting on the supply of vaccines that could be used. Um, and, you know, you yourself haven't approved them and they cannot be used for your own population. Why not give them or lend them to people who can? Um, and there's a domestic, I guess, 
security, health security argument to be mounted to that uh, it's in the U.S.'s interest to have the borders open. It's in the U.S.'s interest to make sure that there's no uh, COVID variants coming through their northern and southern borders. So I think it makes sense on all sides. All right, it's a good solution, I think. It's nice when yeah. governments think creatively. <laughs> sure. Um, all right, let's talk about the Conservative Convention, and Aaron O'Toole is going to speak tonight. Um, mm-hmm. it, it feels like, I know, you know, we could be months away from an election, and there's lots, even in a short period of time in politics, that can happen, but it feels like there's something at stake here for Aaron O'Toole, and it's not an ideal environment because it's not an in-person convention in front of a crowd mm-hmm. with the leader standing at a podium. It's a virtual convention, so... What are some of the dynamics you expect to see, and and uh, how much do you think really is at stake for the conservative leader? Well, in a way, it's like Aaron O'Toole gets to do a redo, because when he won the leadership race, he went in the middle of the night. Most people were not watching. Um, he's been trying to introduce himself to the public for months now, and um, COVID, the pandemic, has not helped. And now it's a chance to basically um, hit the reset button, reintroduce himself, take this national media attention that he is getting because of the convention, and uh, try to reintroduce himself uh, to people on his own terms. And he's had difficulty doing that. Uh, Some of the moves that he made in the fall in trying to expand the conservative tent, and frankly, this is the only way the conservative party um, can win more elections, is by appealing to people that are, you know, further to the left than uh, the Tory base at the moment. Um, So whether it was on LGBTQ issues or it was on the abortion issue um, or it was on climate change um, or even reaching out uh, to union members, um, there's been a backlash from from parts of the base and uh, who have been, uh, I would say, very disappointed uh, that including some people who voted for him, um, that Aaron O'Toole does not, is not presenting himself to be the candidate that ran in the conservative leadership race uh, just a year ago where he was pledging to be true blue and that it was Peter McKay who was going to turn the conservative party into liberal light. So uh, the conservative establishment has gone to great lengths um, to um, try to come out of this convention united on Thursday just in the opening ceremonies, um, everybody who took the stage uh, stressed that message and also talked um, about the leadership of Aaron O'Toole, decisions that have been made that are very popular with port- the party's base, party organizers, party volunteers. And now we're getting pretty in the weeds here. But, Mark, I know your listeners are very much into the weeds, so <laughs> I'll, I'll, get, I'll get into it. But, you know, like this idea... So one of the complaints from the party, and that was like even discussed in the constitutional amendments uh, on Thursday, was the fact that um, EDAs have to give back to the Conservative Party 50% of the refund that they get from Elections Canada. And a lot of riding associations feel this is really unfair. They work hard for that money, and they should be allowed to keep it, especially in unheld ridings, where it's really difficult to raise money to begin with. Um, And the decision was made in the fall uh, by... The party says, Aaron O'Toole, to allow people, um, allow EDAs to keep that money, a decision that will um, that will disadvantage the National Party, which will have to raise more money because they won't be able to benefit from all this extra cash from the writing associations. So, you know, it was like little things like that that I think um, 
for those, you know, true volunteers who've been donating and dedicating their lives for the last several years to the party and this cause, you know, these are these are moves that mean something. Um, but obviously that is not what the speech uh, tonight is going to be about. Um, that is not who Aaron O'Toole is really going to be addressing. Um, this may be the biggest stage that he has before the next federal election. Yeah. All right, let's turn to the trials of Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor in China. Uh, Canadian representatives will not be allowed to be there. Uh, This is obviously a significant milestone after they've been detained for an incredibly long time. Um, What do you expect to see happen, and and how is this going to play out in the days ahead, at the same time as apparently Canada is in talks with the U.S. about, uh, about a different way of resolving this? Yeah, I mean, as we speak, um, Mr. Spavor's uh, trial uh, has already begun. Um, Mr. Kovic's trial is supposed to start on Monday. Um, uh, behind closed doors, Canadian officials have asked repeatedly to attend. They've been told no. Obviously, the media is not there. Um, how long it's going to last is, if you know, history is an indication, probably it will not last more than a few days. Um, sentencing, however, could take, uh, you know, could be immediate. It could take months. Um, it's very clear, I think, especially in, in the past week's announcement and the timelines that we've been looking at, that if there was any doubt that these two Michaels are being used as, as pawns in a larger game of, um, international chess strategy between the U.S. And China, you know, there is no doubt at all the fact that the Chinese would come out and make this announcement before this high-level meeting with um, the Secretary of State and the National Security Advisor in Alaska. Um, you know, there there is no doubt about that. Um, the challenge for the Trudeau Liberals is, you know, making sure that this issue remains front and center and that um, it doesn't get kind of swept up in other um other irritants, other issues that the U.S. is trying to solve with China, um, it could take it could take months. That said, you know we've seen um, the Justice Department make deals before. We've also seen the Chinese release people after they've been sentenced, claiming um, humanitarian grounds or that somebody was sick. Um, so I think um, it's not a good sign, but it doesn't mean that all hope is lost. Right. If I can end on a more positive note. All right. We'll see what happens. Althea, thank you very much for joining us today. Have a great weekend. You too, Mark. Thank you so much. That's Althea Raj, CBC At Issue panelist. The pandemic knows no borders, and ensuring our neighbors can contain the virus is a mission-critical step, is mission-critical to ending the pandemic. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the National Post, John Iveson argues, while the vaccine supply is still fragile... The existential threat to the Liberal government has passed. Iveson writes, Despite the prospect of more bumps in the road, the worst disruptions may be behind us. When you rely on international markets for essential supplies, the prospect always exists for a dramatic, politically terminal reversal. However, Joe Biden's willingness to cut Canada and Mexico's special deals on vaccines will bolster Ottawa's confidence that its worst fears will go unrealized. In the Toronto Star, Susan Delacourt argues, Aaron O'Toole and the Conservatives should not be underestimated. Delacourt writes, While it is true that events don't seem to be conspiring in favour of a Conservative majority anytime soon, 
more reflective liberals may remember when their high hopes were the subject of political hilarity too. Yes, liberals do enjoy a lead in the polls, but it's not a comfortable lead. It's said that when people are laughing at you in politics, you're losing. That hasn't necessarily been true in recent political history, as Justin Trudeau proved in 2015. It's all about who laughs last. At Policy Options, Mitchell Beer argues Christia Freeland must pick a lane with the next budget, either climate change or oil and gas. Freeland writes, Canada can't continue to try to do two things, help a dying industry and address climate change. For half a decade, the Trudeau government has tried mightily to sustain a climate and energy strategy that drives down both sides of the road. Now the two lanes are beginning to diverge. The budget gives Christia Freeland an opportunity to pick the right one. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. MPs on a House of Commons committee have triggered a special meeting today to decide on whether to hold hearings into the proposed merger of two of Canada's telecom giants. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, four members of the Commons Industry Committee have put forward this request to hold hearings on the proposed $26 billion merger with Canada's second largest telecom company, Rogers, taking over the country's fourth largest telecom company, Shaw Communications. Ever since the news broke this week, parliamentarians from various parties have been saying they feel Parliament and the country's, country's telecom regulator, the CRTC, should take a hard look at the merger with an eye to protecting consumer interests and ensuring more service and choice to consumers and not less. There are real concerns about the increase in concentration in Canada from four giant telecom companies down to three in a country with some of the highest cell phone rates in the world. So Mark, in this minority parliament it is probably a safe bet that a majority on the committee will vote today to start hearings into the major development in Canada's communications world. Thanks Martin. Also today the Prime Minister will hold a news conference to speak about COVID-19 along with Public Services Minister Anita Anand and Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominic Leblanc. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will participate virtually in the G7 Finance Ministers and Central Bank Governors meeting. She will also host a call with Provincial and Territorial Finance Ministers. Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller will take part in a news conference to provide an update on COVID-19. Labour Minister Philomena Tassi will attend a virtual infrastructure event in Lucan Bidolf, Ontario, and Special Representative for the Prairies, Jim Carr, will announce additional support for early learning, childcare, and schools in Manitoba. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, March 19th. Tune in to Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great weekend.